Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. You're listening to a special edition of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast called Your Last Decade. I thought it'd be fun to talk to a few friends about what life was like for them 10 years ago. How has their life changed? What did the year 2010 bring them? And what has the last decade brought them? Today, our show is with my friend, Sharon Miller. Sharon joins me to talk about all the things that have happened in her last 10 years. You might recognize Sharon because she was on the happy hour back in 2017 on episode number 163, where she talked about how she met her husband and her passion for cheering on women to walk in their gifts. She does just that. Today, we learn a little bit more of how this passion has led her to serve as a church planter and pastor alongside her husband, Ike, in North Carolina. Sharon also shares how she challenged herself to not settle to be a quote unquote nice Christian woman that might keep her from speaking up for the vulnerable or speaking out against unjust circumstances because it might cost her something. Friends, I encourage you to lean into this conversation. It is a humbling conversation and a very important conversation. Here's my conversation with my friend, Sharon Miller. Sharon, welcome to the happy hour, the special edition called Your Last Decade, where, as my listeners know, we talk about your last decade. And I was just telling you before we started recording that uh, you've had a lot happen in your last decade. I'm going to do the high points. You tell me if I miss a high point, okay? Okay. You and your husband both got PhDs. Uh-huh. Yeah. You've moved twice? We moved from, yeah, we moved from North Carolina to Chicago, lived in okay. Chicago for four years, then moved back to North Carolina. You've mm-hmm. had three babies. Yes. You've planted a church. Yes. You've become a pastor. Yes. You've released two books and a Bible study. <laughs> Did I miss a high point, Sharon? I think that's it. <laughs> You've had a lot in 10 years, and so I'm so happy to chat with you because... You said something when we were chatting before that I have noticed so many times with your last decade, this um, special show we do on Fridays, is a lot of times people, they, right before we start interviewing, they say things like, I know, I looked back and I couldn't believe all that's happened in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we go through things and they're hard and difficult. And then we get on the other side And it's not that we don't forget. Like when I brought all those things up to you, you remember the pain of a doctorate and moving and planting and three babies. Mm -hmm. But we live in the now and we're looking forward, you know, especially some of us live in the now and look forward. When you look back on that list, does it make you tired? (laughs) (laughs) No, it actually, it makes me feel really proud. So I am an Enneagram 7, actually. And so I'm very much like, you know, just 
do as much as possible. Like I really want to be able to look back on every year and say like, I maxed out this year. Like I did as much as I could this year. And so to be able to look back and say, I maxed out this decade, it actually makes me feel really good, which is probably not, (laughs) this is probably not like a spiritual, like a good Christian answer, but yeah, it makes me feel very proud of myself. (laughs) I I love it. Maxed it out. I love it. What number is your husband, Ike? He's a three. A three. Okay. A seven and three. Uh, my husband's a three and I'm a six. So we're kind of in the same little world there. Okay. So take me back to 2010. You guys were married, uh, mm-hmm. newly married, right? Yeah. We've been married less than a year. Okay. Tell me what 2010 was looking like for you and Ike. So we, my husband finished seminary after I did. And so he had just graduated. And then we, it was really neat because I hadn't thought about this story in a long time since you made me think about it, you know? <laughs> But yeah, he had wanted to get his PhD. And so we had gone up to Trinity is where we went. And we were interviewing. And what ended up happening is the school... It's a weird story, but the school recruited both of us together. Like I wasn't even planning on applying. Like I never thought I would get a PhD. And they kind of recruited us together. And so we had both lived in North Carolina our entire lives, but we packed up everything and road tripped up to Chicago and started something new. So you guys were in school together through Mm -hmm. seminary and Mm -hmm. through getting your doctorates. Mm -hmm. Can you, is, do you advise that for married couples? (laughs) I do not. I do not. And we had a lot of, so Trinity also financially worked with us to make that possible. And we lived in a house for free. There was a number of things that happened that made that financially doable for us that is not like a normal thing. But the thing about it that was really, that I really liked is doctoral work, getting a PhD has kind of unique stresses and just the hours are funny and, and all of that. And we understood that, like we were together in it. And so that was really fun. So it was, and then of course, moving to Chicago as a young married couple was just a dream. Like, oh, amazing. Lord, and Chicago's awesome. And yeah, we, we just had so much fun. So do you ever use doctor? No, I just, I'm not a professor. And so I never actually wanted to be a professor. I really, I wanted to learn more, but in the ministry that I do, I find that to be kind of a, unnecessary boundary between me and people. And so I just don't use it. I'd rather people call me Sharon. Look, you got the Holy Spirit in you because you're not prideful about all that work you put in (laughs) and making people call you Dr. Sharon. (laughs) Uh Okay. So let's talk about, I know that you guys did that and then you moved back to North Carolina, you had babies, but I want to get to where you are a little bit with the church planting. Mm -hmm. Was this the dream that you guys always had as you wanted to plant a church together? A hundred percent. No. Okay. We actually, people would periodically ask us if we'd ever think about church planting. And I have, I'm sure you do too. I have a lot of friends that have planted churches and it's hard. Oh yeah. They said like one of the hardest things they've ever done. Yeah. Why are you going to jump into that? I was kind of like, that's great for you guys. We support you. We will financially support you. We will pray for you, you know, all that, but we are not doing that. And part of the reason we felt that way is 
we saw church planters as having a very particular personality. Like we saw church planters as being entrepreneurial and having a high risk tolerance, being big hype people, you know, that kind of a thing. And that is just not us. And so we also thought based on our personalities that God would just not call us to that. Mm. But we, I don't know how many years it's been now, three three years now, maybe we were at a transition point in ministry where Ike had been on staff at a church and we just felt like our time there was coming to an end. And so he had, was interviewing at other churches and we were actually at a church about 15 minutes from Disney world. And so I was like, this is it. Like, this is where we're going. <laughs> yeah, um, I can live here with my boys. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the middle of the night, while we were down there, we we're in a hotel room. I'll never forget. I woke up around 2 a.m. and he was sitting up in bed eating Oreos. And I was like, hey, you know, you okay? And he, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just thought it was adrenaline because we were in the middle of these really intense interviews. And then about a week later, he came to me and said, I have to tell you something. I was awake that night because I was tossing and turning and just couldn't sleep. Finally said, God, if you have something to tell me, tell me. And he said in that moment, he felt like God said, you are not supposed to be doing this. You're not supposed to be interviewing for this job. You were supposed to plant a church. And he was like, okay, where? And he felt like God said South Point. And that's in the southern part of Durham, okay. which is where we are now. And so he then he went to sleep and he was kind of like, I'm not telling anyone that that happened. And I think he kind of hoped it would just go away, but it just continued gnawing at him. And so then he told me and he thought, because we've talked about this, we've said we would never do this. And so he thought you were going to be like, no, 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 yeah, no. He thought I would this. shut it down. Yeah. And, but for us, we are not people who get visions. Like that's just not something that happens on the regular for us. And we're not casual with saying that God told us something. Like I don't throw that phrase around. Right. And so for him to come to me and say that this had happened was so unlike him. I said, well, let, let's pray about it. Let's ask for confirmation. And in the next six months or so, just crazy stuff where people would out of the blue say, you know, have you thought about planting a church? Like if you planted a church, I would fund it significantly. Just weird, weird stuff kept happening where we finally realized this is what we're supposed to do. But it was very much a God grabbing us by the collar sort of a thing. And we actually have a lot of comfort in that because it is very hard. And on the days when it's tough, we just look at each other and say, you know what? This was not our idea. <laughs> so good. It's so, so good. It's so true. And I love it when you have that kind of point of reference that you can say, we didn't dream this up. We didn't decide this. This was God. And Sharon, if you ever wake up and see Ike eating Oreos in the middle of the night again, you're going to be like, what is going on? What is God <laughs> telling you tonight? I need to know. I need to know. There are many paths to finding your family story. Whichever way you choose, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from, and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You could find a famous relative or perhaps a photo of your great-grandmother as a little girl. Researching your history is a fun activity for the whole family, and the stories you learn about your shared past can bring you closer together. 
Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you're from, but also can pinpoint the specific regions within them, providing insightful geographic detail about your history. Trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. My mom is tracing our ancestors right now, and it is such a great experience. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience as Ancestry. Start exploring your family story today. Head to Ancestry.com slash happy hour to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash happy hour. I believe in having clean options. I support companies who innovate products that break the norm and help clean up my daily routine. That's why I love Native for my deodorant needs. In fact, I love it so much, I just gifted my mom with the Native deodorant. Native is made with ingredients that you've actually heard of, like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch. They never use things like aluminum, parabens, sulfates, or talc. It's also vegan and never tested on animals. Native just released plastic-free deodorant made from 100% paperboard and shipped in a plastic-free bag. Switching to an aluminum-free deodorant doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor protection. Native will keep you smelling and feeling fresh all day long. Native comes in over 10 scents like coconut and vanilla and lavender and rose, plus rotating seasonals like the pumpkin spice latte collection. My favorite scent right now out of all of them is the coconut and vanilla. I have loved it this summer. I'm thinking about trying lavender and rose next. Maybe even a pumpkin spice latte deodorant. Native is risk-free to try with free shipping within the U.S. and free 30-day returns and exchanges. Guys, do what I did and make the switch to Native today by going to nativedeo, that's D-E-O, dot com slash Jamie Ivey. Or use the promo code Jamie Ivy, J A M I E I V E Y at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash Jamie Ivy. Or use my name as a promo code Jamie Ivy at checkout for 20% off your first order. Um, okay, can you talk to me about you guys decided to start a plan of church? And I know that you told me just that, you know, you becoming a pastor wasn't anything you ever would have thought that would be on your radar either. Tell me how that transition happened for you. Yeah, I just never, even though I'd gone to seminary, I'd never thought that that was the plan. And and part of the reason is I'm evangelical and there's just not, I just hadn't seen many women leading in that capacity. And so it just was not something I was thinking about. But as we, we started to think about our leadership roles, Ike was actually the one who started saying, I really think you should be a teaching pastor. And even then I said, you know, we have three small children. Our oldest right now, our oldest is seven. And this was a couple of years ago. And I said, you know, we have three small children. I'm an author. I travel. I speak. I'm, I'm maxed out. And having a pastor title has expectations that I don't know if I can deliver on. And that's why he really wanted the teaching pastor role is that was more narrowly defined where I teach, but I'm not necessarily counseling, you know, that kind of a thing. And so I thought about it. And then interestingly, share this part of the story very often, but Bianca Altoff was also 
amazingly planting on the exact same timeline. I think they planted about six weeks before we did maybe. Mm-hmm. And before Ike had said he wanted me to be a pastor, I had talked to Bianca and she had said that Matt wanted her to be a pastor and she was not sure about it. And I, you know, you know me, I am a big cheerleader for women's gifts. And so I was like, Bianca, you should do it. Like you, this is a no brainer. You are, you have a preaching gift. Like, of course you should do this. And then, <laughs> and then the tables were turned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when, when I said, you know, I think you should be a pastor and I'm pretty sure I said to Bianca, like, I don't know. And, and she was kind of like, come on, like you, everything you said to me, say to yourself, essentially. Yeah. yeah. But on top of all that, we live in one of the most highly educated areas in the country. We have three major universities here. We have Research Triangle Park. It's one of the highest ratios of people with PhDs per capita. And so you have women here who are leading in the workplace. They are CEOs. They are doctors. They are professors. They are lawyers, VPs, all of that. And so that's happening in the secular workplace, but not in the church. You know, there was no place for women in this area to go and see, okay, how do I use my leadership gifts for the kingdom of God? And so Ike also sort of used that against me. And he said, you know, you need to be an example for how to use your leadership gifts for the kingdom of God. And so this is an act of stewardship. And so I couldn't really argue with that. And that's how I took the position. And it's, it was really, I'm so grateful for my husband to push me because I fit in the, the role like a glove. Like I really, I love traveling and speaking to women. You know, there's so, and I'm sure you, you feel exactly the same way. Like when you travel, you get to see all the ways that God is working like across our country, you know, and it gives you kind of this zoomed out view of what God is doing. And I love that, but I've discovered that I love preaching to our church Mm -hmm. even more because Mm -hmm. I know them and I can look out into their eyes and know their stories and be a part of you know, what God is doing in their lives, you know, long-term. And so I really, I've loved it more than I ever could have thought. So it's been really awesome. I love that surprise that you got in not realizing how much you would love it mm-hmm. and then seeing how much it is. And I heard you tell a portion of that story on the Polish podcast recently. I heard you talk about the amount of people where you live that have higher education. And I thought, man, I'd never thought about that point before and how a great way for you to use your giftings as well. I want to ask you this. I know in the last 10 years, I mean, I said you've written two books and a Bible study and your latest book that you released is called Nice, Mm -hmm. Why We Love to Be Liked and How God Calls Us to More. And I know that books that people write are from an overflow of what God's done in their life. And I have a sense that in the past 10 years, you have probably potentially been stripped of some of the things that you cared about before or that you thought about before or even that made you do some of the things that you do or insecurities. Talk with me about what that shift has been like for you over the past 10 years. I've been on a journey in the last several years that I think a lot of women like me have been on. Years ago with my first book, Free of Me, I had just a line in there about how I was a nice Christian girl and I was a people pleaser and I lived for approval of adults and I, you know, was a high achiever, all of that. And I just was reflecting on how at the time I would have said I did that for Jesus, but 
in retrospect, it was also because it got me things. It was just very rewarding to be a nice Christian girl. And so I had that just in a line and free me. And I thought that would be it, but it continued to just linger. And I realized after a certain point that I had not left that behind in childhood, but I'd carried it into adulthood and I'd carried it into ministry. And the moment where I had that realization was actually, and the timing of this recording is is really relevant because there's so much going on in our nation right now with, with race, but I was going to write something about racism on my blog. And this was, I want to say, when everything was happening in Ferguson. And it wasn't, what I was going to write wasn't incendiary. It wasn't divisive. It was just, it was thoughtful and it was biblical. But I hesitated. And I thought, you know, what is going to be the fallout of this? Like, what is, will I lose readers? Will people be mad? Will people say I'm distracting from the gospel? You know, will people tell me to just stay back in my lane? You know, all of that. And that was a huge soul searching moment for me because I thought, okay, this Jesus is not neutral about this. You know, this isn't, there's no question about God's opinion on this. It's, it's biblical. It's thoroughly biblical. And so why am I hesitating to talk about something that Jesus did not hesitate to talk about? And that was when I realized that I had in ministry continued to be this nice Christian woman. And the really hard reality that it's, it's hard to even know, honestly, like how to talk about this well, is that really rewarding in ministry financially if you are a nice Christian woman. Okay, tell me and, what you mean by that. So if you only talk about encouraging things, if you only talk about a very narrow definition of faith, if you talk about, you know, insecurity, (laughs) you know, stuff like that, if you stay away from current events, then you will be universally liked and accepted. And that translates to financial success as well. It just does. And if you step out of that, and we have seen this with our beloved Beth Moore, if you step out of that, there are consequences. And I honestly, I don't talk about that financial piece in the book at all, but it just... I've heard you talk about it online there recently, haven't you? Yeah, I've I've started talking about it more and it's, it's a... It's a hard topic because you don't want to say, and therefore, if you're not talking about this lady, then you're doing it for financial reasons. That's not right at all what I'm saying. But I can say from my own perspective, I have had to grapple with what will happen for my ministry, bottom line, if I'm going to talk about this. And what you mean is who will not invite me to speak, which means mm-hmm. who will not pay me, which is mm-hmm. part of your job. Mm-hmm. So you would lose income. Yes. Yeah. And so it's, there are rewards for being a nice Christian woman. And I have had to grapple with that. But also there's just the reward of people liking you. Like I don't like having arguments online. I don't like posting something difficult and then someone saying, you know, posting mean comments. I don't love that. (laughs) Like if I could live in a world in which... That didn't happen. Yeah, we'd all be there. Yeah, and so it's not even the the financial piece is even not the whole thing. It's it's just that's not 
fun. I don't enjoy mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But when we look at Jesus, when we with, look at the prophets, we see that they sometimes got pushback from people and that that was okay. And that doesn't mean that you should invite it. And it doesn't mean you should be like a bull in a China shop or that you should just go out, you know, swinging. But it does mean that you can be gentle as a lamb Mm. and people will still accuse you of being divisive and unfaithful. And so we really have to grapple with what are we called to? Are we called to this nice Christianity that looks a lot like the real thing that people, you know, generally like, or are we called to be like Jesus? And that was what gave birth to, to that book was grappling with this false discipleship that I realized I had discipled myself into, but was also passing that along to other people and having to, to really grapple with that and, and repent of it, honestly. Yeah. So my question, I, I'm thinking through like listeners thinking of this and most of them are going to be like, yes, Sharon, I want to move out of this nice bubble. Like I want to be someone who is like Jesus and everything you described is Jesus. He was kind and he was gentle, but he was also very truthful. And a lot of people did not like him. Most people did not like him. Mm -hmm. You know, I heard, I don't know if you saw a clip that's been going around from Matt Chandler, a sermon Mm -hmm. clip that he posted. It's really, really good. But one of the things that he said in there that I have not forgotten was um, that it's very easy for us to celebrate Martin Luther King today because he's dead. But if he were alive today right now, saying the the things that he was saying, he would not be celebrated. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. how, you know, the prophets of old, we can celebrate, they're dead. Like, you know, Yeah, that's like literally in the Bible where they say, you love those prophets because they're dead and they can't tell you anything. Exactly, exactly. exactly. And so that's kind of when you're talking, I keep thinking about that, even just like Jesus and the prophets. And even with Matt Chandler's example of Martin Luther King is, it is difficult to say strong, hard things. And then have people listen and look back and talk to you and all those things. A couple questions. And, you know, this is a longer answer, but a couple questions. One would be, what are some ways that you keep up safeguards to where you don't go back to those old feelings of insecurity, worry, stressed out if someone does not like Sharon? Mm -hmm. And then that's my first question is what are some just like practical things that you do uh, for that? Go with that. Yeah. So a lot of that spiritual work was what I wrote about in free of me was, was me grappling with my naming the reality that a big cause of my insecurity was not low self-esteem, but self-preoccupation. And so doing a lot of that spiritual work and it's hard to distill, but the shortest way I can answer that question is I had to come to a point where I realized I can keep chasing after these things that I think will give me joy and that I think will make me feel better about myself, but are realistically making me more insecure or I can just stop doing that. Mm. And it's, it's, there's that quote about how change happens when the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change or something. I don't know if you've Sounds heard good. that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's essentially what happened is yeah. I thought, you know, I can like humility, it hurts. It, it really, it hurts like in, in insecurity, even it hurts but very often I realized when I would feel insecure is I would think, oh, this is just absolutely bad and I need to fight this off. Instead of realizing sometimes insecurity is telling you something about yourself. Mm. 
and you can receive that and you can listen. And sometimes you can even let it humble you and just say, this is trying to make me small. I'm just going to let it. I'm just going to let it. I'm not going to puff myself up. Um, if people aren't concerned, aren't paying attention to my writing, um, not wanting me to come speak, okay, I'm not here for, I, I'm here to point people to Jesus, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there was a huge dying to self, a huge, it was really a stronghold that that just shattered. And when that happened, and I really came to a point where I believed Humility and dying to self is actually freedom. Like, I believe that. And when I got to that point, that did a lot of the heavy lifting because, and we say this to our church all the time, is, is I say, I'm going to disappoint you. Like one day I'm going to do something that disappoints you. And thankfully, you're not here for me. You're here for Jesus. And I can promise you that there are no skeletons in his closet. And so I can just, you know, unreservedly point people to him. I just feel a lot of freedom in that. And so that's something that I think laid the groundwork for this next step of doing and saying hard things. And I mean, it's, it still hurts a lot. You know, we, we're walking this out in our church right now, and, and it's really hard and it's really painful. But it, it, now I have a place to put that pain that is not just bad, mm -hmm. but it is, I can give this to God and he can actually make me more like him through this. Mm -hmm. And so that reframing has, has meant all the difference in the world. That's good. And I love the, the two things you put together, humility and dying to self. I mean, it's scripture. This is not Sharon's idea, mm -hmm. but that humility and laying down our own desires and wants and pride um, and then dying to ourself it brings freedom, which we think it's not going to bring freedom. We think it's going to bring bondage and it's the exact opposite. And I think that if we were to all, everyone listening and you and I were to sit around a table, we could all come up with ways that we have done that before in our lives. And we probably like on one level, we'd say, I did experience freedom from that. But yet it is still so difficult to do that day in and day in and day in. And that is the hard work that you're having to put in. Thrive Market delivers organic and sustainable groceries right to your door. Just recently, I went to Thrive Markets. I got my account and I stocked up on snacks because my kids all day long, mom, we need more snacks. We need more snacks. And what I loved about it is I could go straight to Thrive Market. I could pick out that I wanted vegan or paleo or gluten-free, whatever might need our family's needs. And they are going to deliver it straight to my door. And I'm a happy mama. And those kids are happy kids. As a Thrive Market member, your paid membership provides a free one for someone in need, like a low-income family, teacher, veteran, or first responder. Thrive Market tailors to over 70 different diets and values, like paleo, keto, or plant-based, delivering the highest quality organic and sustainable essentials from groceries, healthy snacks, meat and seafood, clean wines, non-toxic cleaning, bath and body, and stuff for your pets, which I also got some great dog bones for my sweet little puppers. As a member, you're going to save 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices, and their carbon neutral shipping is free on orders over $49. In addition to membership matching, which is so phenomenal that they do that, Thrive Market has raised over $750,000 to date through their COVID-19 relief fund. If this sounds like something you're interested, go to thrivemarket.com slash happy hour. Join today and you're going to get a free gift of your choosing up to $22 in value. 
That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash happy hour because you're listening on the happy hour. Go there today to start your risk-free membership and get a free gift today. Thrivemarket.com slash happy hour. What kind of boundaries do you have around yourself for like rest and Sabbath and not like completely getting bombarded? I'm talking about in our current world that we're in right now. What kind of boundaries do you put up for yourself to kind of rest and not make sure that you're not just in it for the fight? Does that make sense? Because I can mm-hmm. feel that some ways. I mean, oh my gosh. I was having an Instagram conversation with someone yesterday and Aaron was like, you need to get out and you need to let it go. <laughs> I was like, you're right. I need to get out and I need to let it go. Yeah. So Sabbath is huge for us. We we even have boundaries on like at the after a certain time at night where it's not just that we're not working, but we're not talking about church either. Because y'all and, both running this, I would imagine that you guys have to have really strict boundaries mm-hmm. so it doesn't bleed over from church and home. Yeah. And there is some of that, obviously, but. Yeah, and so we, it's been harder because of quarantine because everything has moved online. And so that's meant everything has kind of bled over. And so we've almost had to reassert our boundaries in new ways. But I, I'm also, I'm not someone who really gets into a lot of discussions online. I try to suss out, is this person earnest? Like, are they coming to me in earnest asking this question or are they just making a point? And if they are just making a point, I know I will not be able to convince them. There's nothing that I'm going to say that is going to change their mind. And so I will sometimes acknowledge, you know, thanks for sharing or, you know, like the thing or whatever, um, or I won't at all. So only rarely do I actually engage in conversation. And part of the reason why I feel a lot of freedom to not do that online is because we have a church. That's why we started a church is because we believe that that is, and I just posted about this, we believe that that, not social media, is the vehicle that God has given us to change the world. And that these conversations are better had in a person in an embodied way with people that you know and you know their story instead of just anonymous people where you have no idea what their backstory is and what is informing your view of them is actually a headline and not the actual them. And church, you know, prevents that anonymity and that disembodied conversation from happening. And it's where you function much more like a family, you know, in your family, if I get upset with Ike, I don't, I don't just cancel him, you know, <laughs> block him. <laughs> yeah. Done with him. Yeah. And so that's what family is supposed to do. We, it's a place where you can fight well, you know, but you fight together in love. And so that's why we started a church is we felt like that is God's subversive witness in this world. And so that is where I'm going to hash this out, not online. Amen, amen, amen. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel a lot of freedom to not get into the fray online because of that. I love it. Uh, You released your last book in August of 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you writing anything? I was supposed to, but thankfully my publisher has actually given me an extended deadline. So I'm not really sure what I thought was going to be book three has changed because of everything. So yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure yet. I'm a big fan of yours. I love your writing. I love your teaching. I love your heart. I love everything that you guys are doing in your church and where you are. What do you hope for and dream about 
for the next 10 years? I am excited for our church, but you know, you asked me this question earlier and that was the answer that I gave. But now like hearing you ask it, one thing I, I honestly am hopeful for is everything that's happening in our country right now. It feels really hard and it's really scary and there's a lot of upheaval, but I see, I wonder if you feel this way too. I see God doing something that I have never seen. And I see an openness. I see repentance. I see, and, and when we came into the pandemic, I, so many people were saying, you know, God's going to bring revival. God's going to bring revival. And we cannot have revival if we do not wrestle with our sin. We can't. And so the fact that I'm seeing people talk about things for the first time, say things for the first time, have honest conversations, really confront the reality of the church, that actually makes me really, really hopeful for what God is doing and make me think maybe this is what revival looks like for our nation. So I'm actually really excited. I love that. I am hoping and praying and seeing some of the same things. And I think that it's really difficult right now. And we're feeling the pains of that. All of us are. And, you know, usually on the other side of difficult is, you know, something really beautiful. And I'm praying for that as well. Sharon, I'm cheering you on from Austin. I am a big fan of you. And thank you for your conversation today. I think that what you wrote in your book and what we talked about today is something that I think all of us have to grapple with and struggle with um, as Christian women, for sure. I remember when I took the Enneagram test for the first time, I tested as a two and I was like, nah, I'm no, I'm definitely not a two. <laughs> and but I read that a lot of Christian Southern women test mm-hmm. as a two mm-hmm. because of the exact th- things that we're talking about today of just mm-hmm. this, what's inside of us. And so I'm thankful for you talking about it and teaching us and leading us in this. You're a joy. I'm so glad to chat with you today. It's been great, Jamie. Thank you for listening to The Happy Hour, the special edition, Your Last Decade. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Quinn Pearson, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. We'd love it if you enjoyed this show, if you'd share it with your friends. Word of mouth is the number one way that people find out about our podcast, and we thank you for that. Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode.